Thanksgiving is not only to be rendered to the God of heaven and earth at the turn of each year during America's commemoration of it, but continually, for this is the will of God concerning each and every one of us. Our old covenant reading coming from the Psalms, the psalmist Asaph writing in Psalm 50. Let me read the first 15 verses, verses 1 through 15, stanzas 1 through 15. Beloved of the Lord, by inspiration of God, the psalmist Asaph writes this. The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And heaven shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings have made continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy foals. For every beast of the field is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me." Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy and chapter 3, the first five verses, as Paul cautions the soldier of Christ, by the same spirit that moved Asaph, so does Paul write, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. Thus far as the reading of God's more holy, inerrant, and finally authoritative word, the grass withers, the flower thereof fades away, but the word of God stands forever, and by his holy word is the gospel presented unto us again this day. Now it is no accident that each year our nation pauses at the turn of the year to give thanks in the tradition of the Thanksgiving holiday. For some, Thanksgiving is rendered to the God of heaven and earth as the pilgrims, did and as those in Geneva did and those of Christendom did because of the mercy of God's provisions. They recognized the mercy of all of God's provisions. For others, thanksgiving is rendered in obscurity to whatever is in the mind of man. For still others, the Thanksgiving holiday is a remembrance of how the white man oppressed the Indians and confiscated their land in an effort to colonize them in the same way as the Egyptian oppressed and colonized the ancient Hebrews. Even now, 
That sentiment reverberates when we hear some of the Gullah's congressional legislators and executive rulers pause to reflect upon a holiday that they really know nothing about and to commemorate a divine providence from a God that they have actually neglected and even blasphemed by their actions and by their policies. And yet they have the audacity to declare thanksgiving. But not only do these elected officials deny the God in whom they will one day give an account, they have the audacity to declare thanksgiving a holy day. That's what a holiday means. Holy day. A holiday. A holy day. So we have to ask the question, holy to what? Holy to whom? Well, they pause to hypocritically give thanks they are at the same time seeking to abolish this holy recognition from its original intent. This is what Paul was talking about and this is what Asaph was talking about as well. The hypocrite. Today's indoctrination system of the public schools impresses upon its unsuspecting student and parent that the pilgrims, when they were celebrating Thanksgiving, were actually giving thanks to the Indians and not to the God of heaven and earth. Some educators continue to besmirch the pilgrims by identifying them as hateful tyrants, slave masters, and the epitome of evil. And you wonder why Christian parents need to take their children out of the government schools. In the state's effort to be as God, this is just another attempt to remove God from the memory of Americans and their providential American history. Now, once God is removed, once the memory of God is removed, The state believes that it can then be set up as God. Sovereignty is their goal. So they can sovereignly rule not only men's lives, but they can rule men's consciences as well. And so the slogan becomes, give thanks to the state in the name of the Caesar. The state has often suggested that Thanksgiving is simply a day of appreciation for those things that we have as human beings and as American citizens. But what is so mind-bending is while the modern state gives thanks for the glory of the American experiment, they at the same time are actively seeking to destroy the original American experiment of liberty under God. Each year the state calls us Americans to pause and give thanks for the freedoms which we have, while at the same time actively pursuing a tyrannical agenda, a tyrannical globalistic agenda, which will ultimately remove all freedom. So now what are we giving thanks for? In the new America, there is no room for God or the work of God, nor is there any recognition of God and his establishment of our nation or the sustaining of our lives by his direct decree of mercy. And since there is no room for God in this new America, there is no room for freedom. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But when that Spirit is removed, then there is no longer liberty, but rather replacing liberty, there is tyranny and eventually death. So replacing liberty, there is tyranny and eventually death. The modern state has replaced where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, with where unquestionable obedience to the state is, there is slavery, misery, and ultimately death. And so, once again, the state has sought to remove all remembrance of God from the American mind in order to control the American mind. The tyrannical state actively seeks to build an atheistic state, which is in and of itself a religion, which according to Groen van Perninster, 
is a revolutionary state poised to destroy all vestiges of biblical Christianity. That is the goal of the state, to destroy all remembrance of God and all vestiges of biblical Christianity. And yet, on Friday, September 25th, 1789, one day after the first House of Representatives voted to recommend in its exact wording the First Amendment, a New Jersey congressman, Elias Budnow, proposed that the House and Senate would jointly request that President Washington proclaim a day of thanksgiving for the many single favors of Almighty God. Do you think that will ever happen again? Well, if we get the right people in Congress, yeah, maybe so. He said this, Not think of letting the session pass over without offering to all the citizens of the United States of joining with one voice in returning to Almighty God their sincere thanks for the many blessings He had poured down upon them. Notice, they're acknowledging God. They're acknowledging Christian. They're, they're acknowledging the Christian faith. Thanksgiving is to be a celebration of thanks and praise to the God of Scripture, the God of the heavens, the God of the earth, not to the Indians and certainly not to the state and not to the things that we acquired in a mass for ourselves. And while the majority of the American people rejoice in the things that they have without so much as thanking God of the God of providence who has given us them life and breath and the freedoms to enjoy their possessions and the reason why they can have possessions is because of the God of providence. They actually are using their possessions to amuse themselves to death without acknowledging God. America and its institutional apostasy has forgotten the God who made it the nation that it once was. What Americans and I'm sorry to have to say this, many, many Christians today and all those who forget God have failed to understand is that to forget God is a death sentence. And when a nation forgets God, it is the beginning of the end of that nation. If God is not brought back into the forefront of the American mind in every institution known to man, it will be the end of the nation. Now let's consider for a moment the word of the Lord concerning all those that forget God. Because God is, He knows that when people forget God, there are consequences. There are consequences to certain ideas and actions. Notice Psalm 9, verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations, notice, not all the people that forget God, but all the nations that forget God. So I don't care what nation it is whether it's America or Israel or, or the Congo or Europe or, or England, it doesn't matter what nation it is. When they forget the Christ of God, they will be turned into hell. It's as simple as that. It's not rocket science. It's, it's not something that you have to really ponder. It's very simple. The psalmist Asaph said this in Psalm 50, verse 22. Now consider this, ye that forget God lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Those are fighting words. Those are powerful words. If you forget me, I will come upon you as a ravenous lion, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. I will be as a leopard and a bear and I will tear you limb from limb. Those are fighting words. In Job chapter 8, verse 13 and 14, we read this. So are the paths of all that forget God. 
and the hypocrite's hope shall perish, whose hope shall be cut off, and whose trust shall be a spider's web. He shall lean upon his house, but it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. However, it was not the 1789 proclamation that began these future Thanksgiving commemorations to God. A sensitivity to the providential blessings of the Almighty began years before in America, as early as 1564. A small colony of French Huguenots established a colony in Jacksonville, Florida, under their leader, René de Latonier. On June 30th of that same year, the entire colony, you think about it, the entire colony, They joined together to give thanks to God by singing a psalm of thanksgiving and prayer, beseeching Him to continue His goodness toward them. They were reflecting upon God. If you ever got the ministers of certain counties together to come together to reflect upon God, they might have all different kinds of gods they're thinking of because they're holding on to different kinds of theologies and they see God in different lights. But in 1564, they were all on the same page. In 1610, after one of the harshest winters, the Jamestown colonists had to endure during which many died of starvation. You think about this. Day after day, they were burying the dead. And even in light of that, the colonists called for a celebration of thanksgiving. In everything, they would give thanks, even in the harshest of things. Even in their time of great suffering and sorrow, they still called for a time of thanksgiving and praise to God. The colony had been reduced from the original 409 members to 60 survivors in one winter. And yet, think about the the resolve of these people, the faith, and yet, they get together and they give thanks. Gary DeMar comments on this incredible testimony. He says, Extreme hardship did not deter the survivors from turning to God in thanksgiving. The colonists prayed for help that finally arrived by a ship filled with food and supplies from England. They held a prayer service to give thanks. Now by 1619, after 38 colonists landed at a place called Berkeley 100 in Virginia, a commemoration of a yearly Thanksgiving celebration was proclaimed. And so on December 4th, 1619, A day of thanksgiving was proclaimed as a formal yearly celebration within their charter by these words, quote, We ordain that the day of our ship's arrival in the land of Virginia shall be yearly and perpetually kept holy as a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God. These Christian colonists, not terrorists, not violent oppressors, not tyrannical evil people, rather these pilgrims and Puritans, who wanted to worship God without tyrannical oppression, sought to make thanksgiving a holy day unto the Lord. It was not so much to be a secular national holiday, but it was a Christian holy day. These men and women were were full of the praises of God and rendered to Him the glory and thanksgiving that was His due. Notice, they understood it was His due. He deserved it. Even in the harshest of situations, He deserved thanksgiving and praise. Today, however... There's only blasphemy and contempt for God's holy day of thanksgiving, and that even among his people. If you remember, in the not-too-distant past, the first attack on Christendom, and we don't think about that too much. We just say, oh, that was in the past, and it's all over now. No, but the first attack upon Christendom was the attack upon the commandments of God, the Ten Commandment Monument. 
No, how, how quickly we forget about that, that debacle. Then it was upon Christmas. Then upon the historical statues and anything that reminded Americans of their history. You see, we allowed those things. We allowed the Ten Commandment thing. We allowed Christmas to be besmirched. And then they started taking away all the statues. And we stood by. Where was the outcry of the legislators, the powerful men in Congress, in Senate, the president, the governors? Where was their outcry? So little by little, they were deteriorating the memory of our history. And whatever you think about Christmas, be it Christian or pagan, or the historical statues, the seculars saw these as just another way to reconstruct the culture. This was a shameless attempt at what the wicked are calling the Great Reset, which is a globalist attempt to take over America and the world. It is the repackaging of the Tower of Babel and a reminder of what the world was like in the days of Noah and during the lechery of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their mission was to cancel the Christian culture by substituting everything ungodly and evil into the realm of the norm. And so, remove the Ten Commandments and you can reestablish right and wrong according to humanistic agenda. Remove Christmas and you can erase the memory of the reigning king and his incarnation and his dominion kingdom and his dominion conquest. Remove the icons of history and you can reshape history. If you can forget the past or if you can make people forget the past, you can control the future. The removal of all of these iconic symbols is nothing short of an assault upon the nation and the people's psyche. It is mind control targeting the future generations. Convert the children and you control the nation. And that's what's happening to the Christians who have put their children in government schools. They're destroying their children. They're putting them on the altar of Baal and they're sacrificing their children to the God of the state. And you wonder why I'm so adamant about the government schools, about how wicked they can be and are. The anti-Christian state and its weaponized state of federal enforcement institutions have taken the attack on Christ and Christianity a step further by targeting Christian and conservative parents, labeling them terrorists and incarcerating them at will. And this is what happens when a nation forgets God and refuses to acknowledge Him in humble thanksgiving. All right, so that begs the question. Why, more than, more than anything else, why is Thanksgiving such an important holiday? And why should we fight to keep its original meaning alive? And why at the turn of each year do I preach to you the same sermon over and over and over so that we can keep the original meaning of Thanksgiving in our mind's eye? It is precisely because Thanksgiving is a public declaration of God's goodness upon our nation and the lives of the people of God. Furthermore, it is an acknowledgement that without God, we are doomed to an existence of chaos, confusion, and violent destruction. Noah Webster said in his definition of Thanksgiving in his dictionary, he writes, a public celebration of divine goodness. Notice, of divine goodness. Also, a day set apart for religious services, specially to acknowledge the goodness of God, either in any remarkable deliverance from calamities or danger, or in the ordinary dispensation of His bounties. The practice of appointing an annual thanksgiving originated in New England. It was here, right here, where the original thanksgiving was proclaimed. Now consider the following questions. 
First, what is the biblical definition concerning the act of thanksgiving? To whom are we to be thankful? What are we to be thankful for? When are we to show forth thanksgiving? Why are we to be thankful? In other words, what is the root of thanksgiving? And finally, how do we show that we are sincerely thankful? Six questions. So consider firstly, consider first the biblical definition of thanksgiving. The word actually means to hold out one's hand in loving adoration, worship, and praise. That's a submissive act. It's a submissive act of the will, acknowledging a kindness done which was unwarranted, but extended nevertheless without any strings attached in love. The Hebrew root word for thanksgiving is the word which actually means praise. So when we're thanking God, we're praising God for His goodness. And so to render thanksgiving is to praise God. In addressing the hypocrites in Psalm 50, Asaph warns them that thanksgiving is actually part of the duty of man. Not just Christians, but all men. Notice what he says in verse 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And the overall message of Psalm 50 is actually a rebuke upon the religious hypocrite who is determined to act out various religious rituals, but refuses to offer God the thanksgiving, glory, and praise due Him. So everyone that has denied the God of Scripture, denied the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, everyone that's now worshiping or not worshiping on Thanksgiving Day, just having a meal, they're acknowledging something that they have no understanding of. Asaph is warning the hypocrite to mend his ways by reflecting upon the unseen God, the unseen Savior, who is only seen by the eye of faith. Why would somebody have a Thanksgiving holiday when they don't acknowledge the Savior of Thanksgiving? Now, while the hypocrite is able to perform outward works in a show of religious observances or an observance of a holy day, he is unable to manufacture sincere gratitude for the work of grace. That's where the rubber meets the road sincerely being thankful. If he does in any way speak of thanks, the hypocrite does so without sincerity. It's basically lip service, not from the heart. It's just because he has to. The focus in that situation is not upon God, but upon the self. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you gave me all this stuff because I'm so important. Notice what Jesus speaks in Luke in chapter 18. In verse 10 and 11, notice, two men went up into the temple to pray. The one, a hypocrite. Actually, it doesn't say that. It says a Pharisee. And the other, a sinner, a publican, a man who knew he was the lowest of the low. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Wasn't praying to God. He was praying to himself. And he said this, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this lowly publican. You see, this Pharisee verbally gave thanks, but his heart was far from the love of God and love toward his neighbor, rendering his thanksgiving unacceptable, even damnable, because the publican went down justified and not the Pharisee. The unregenerate, without the stamp of Christ is unable 
to sincerely thank God for the various providences that have blessed him and guided him throughout his life simply because he has not actually experienced the work of grace. So you could thank God all day long. Oh, you know, God did this for me and God did that for me. God did the other thing for me and I thank God for... Without the stamp of grace, without the stamp of Christ, it's hypocrisy. This man thought that he was special in some way. That God looked upon him and said, Oh, I'm going to do all these wonderful things for him. But he was a hypocrite. Psalm 50 is a wake-up call for all of us who have reaped an abundance of God's blessings and yet remain in a posture of murmuring and discontentment. Asaph identifies the hypocrite as one that is deceived by keeping of outward ceremonies in verses 9 through 13 and calls them the legalist. Notice what he says. God is reproving him. He says, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy field, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. In other words, you're giving me things. I don't need these things. Who do you think you are? I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. So in these verses, Asaph identifies the evangelical moralist who is actually an antinomian who relates to the covenant of free grace but is void of true love toward God because he's not really thankful. And that's the test. Sincerity and a love and appreciation toward God, a thankful heart is essential. Asaph continues to explain. He says, but unto the wicked God saith, and he's really talking about the apostate, He's calling the apostate wicked because they're taking the covenant of God in their mouth. They knew the covenant, but they were still wicked. But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes, or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth, seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee? You see, you've got the hypocrite, the religious hypocrite, the churchman, who's thanking God, and yet they're not obeying Him, They're not following his covenant. He calls them wicked. So Asaph tells both of these types of hypocrites, the legalist and and this uh, religious observer, offer unto God, here's the remedy, offer unto God thanksgiving. Forget about trying to, to give me things. Obey me and thank me. You see, the problem with the hypocrite is that he holds onto a false hope a false confidence that he is one of God's elect, but he refuses to give sincere thanks for all the things that God has done. Secondly, the obvious answer as to whom we should be thankful to, of course, is God. Not to the Indians, not to the state. It's God. It's the God of Scripture. It's not a God of someone's own making. It's not another Jesus. It's God, the God of Scripture. We are not merely to give thanks for the things or the situations, but rather we are to give thanks to God because of his character, who freely gives us all things through Jesus Christ and who orchestrates all situations for the benefit and for the ultimate glory of his kingdom and his church. Thirdly, what in particular should men in general be thankful for? So what are we to be thankful for? First and foremost, it is the sheer mercy of God. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, his atoning work, And the mediation. And think about the mediation of Christ. It's ongoing. Every moment of every day, of every nanosecond of life. The mediation of Christ, bringing your prayers before God, 
atoning for your sins as you think thoughts that are not right and as you do things that are not right. He's constantly there ministering to you the sheer mercy of God and the mediation of Jesus Christ. We should bow in humble thanksgiving daily because of it. Unregenerate men have no knowledge of this, nor do they care about this. And that's the reason why they will be sent headlong into the abyss of God's fiery furnace of hell eventually. As a result of the hardness of men's hearts, they remain unthankful. No sincerity in their thanksgiving. Paul may actually be referring to Psalm 50 and the religious hypocrite when he writes to Timothy in our New Covenant reading, the chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verses 2 and following. Notice, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters. I thank God that I'm like not like every man. Proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, and there it is, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. And verse 5 is the coup de grace. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And our response to those types from such, turn away. Fourth, when are men, especially Christians, to show for Thanksgiving. Well, Paul cuts through all of that, all of that confusion when he tells the saints at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's your duty. Drawing from the law of God in Leviticus 7 verse 12, Asaph reminds the hypocrite that a thankful posture is an essential component a thankful, your posture daily should be thankful, thankfulness when offering up the required ceremonial sacrifices of peace and that a thankful posture does not exhibit itself only when things are going well. Thanksgiving is to be rendered to God for everything and at every occasion, no matter what the situation. Thanksgiving is the posture of the true saint. At every season, that should be our posture. A sincere heart of thanksgiving was what yoked the sacrifices of peace with the people and which made the sacrifice acceptable. Without thanksgiving, those sacrifices meant nothing. Notice how the psalmist connects thanksgiving with the payment of vows. Verse 14 of Psalm 50. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. So the rendering of sincere thanksgiving establishes a spirit of gratitude which was required in payment of Israel's oath. Biblical vows, if they were to be valid, had to be voluntary. God is calling on Israel and he's calling on us, the new Israel, to voluntarily praise and give him thanks for his fidelity and grace. The vow was a promise to give thanks in everything and in every situation. Remember whenever Jesus blessed the bread, he gave thanks. Whenever he prayed, he gave thanks. He gave thanks. He is the example of what it means to give thanks in love and and sincerity before God. This is the intent of the apostle when he counsels the Thessalonians to give thanks for everything and in every situation. Even when we are reproved of our sin, even when there's difficulties in our lives, we have to thank God that we are not destroyed under them. The Reverend George Barlow comments, he says, quote, It is our duty to be ever thankful. The Christian can meet with nothing in the way of duty that is not a cause for thanksgiving. Whatever suffering may be entailed, 
when we think of the ceaseless stream of God's mercies, think about that phrase, the ceaseless stream of God's mercies, we shall have ample reason for uninterrupted thanksgiving. Observe the connection the Apostle makes between prayer and thanksgiving when writing to the Philippians and the Colossians. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, notice what he says. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with, coupled with, thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And then in Colossians 2.7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. It's an essential component of the life of the Christian. Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. The Reverend George Barlow again observes, he says, quote, the secret of a happy life And you think about this, everybody wants to be happy. How can I be happy? I want you to be happy. I would like you to be happy. But here's the secret of a happy life. He says, the secret of a happy life is in harmony with the divine will. It is the will of God that his people should be rejoicing, praying, and grateful. It is this will that is revealed by Christ as declared in his gospel, as received in his church, and as observed by those in communion with him. What a revelation is this? Not of an arbitrary demand of the impossible state of the affections toward God, but a beautiful and consolatory discovery of the largeness of his love and of the blessed ends for which he has redeemed us in Christ. The will of God supplies constant material for gratitude and praise. These are the three marks of a genuine Christian. Number one, to rejoice in the mercy of God. Number two, to be fervent in prayer. And number three, to give thanks to God in all things. To rejoice in the mercy of God, to be fervent in prayer, and to give thanks to God in all things. Now throughout the Old Testament, the prophets had lifted up the name of the Lord in thanksgiving and praise. And and it just goes on and on. If you look up these words in your concordance, it goes on and on. Let me give you a few examples. Psalm 26, 6. I will wash mine hands in innocency, So will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Psalm 69, 30. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 95, 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Psalm 107, 22. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Psalm 116, verse 17. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 147, verse 7. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God. Isaiah 51, 3. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. And he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. And finally, Jeremiah 30, verse 19. And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of them that make merry. And I will multiply them and they shall not be few. I will also glorify them and they shall not be small. 
Notice the connection with every blessing is thanksgiving. What all of these Old Testament prophets were praising and thanking God for was not only what he had done in their history, but moreover, in anticipation of what he was going to do through the Lord Jesus Christ in all of history. And so when the Apostle Paul speaks of giving thanks, he often focuses upon the aspect of the spiritual and temporal victory effectuated by the resurrected Christ. And that's what he's saying in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.14 Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and make us manifest the Savior of His knowledge by us in every place. 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Colossians 1.12 Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Revelation 4.9 And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. They give glory and honor and thanks. And then finally Revelation 11.17 Revelation 11.17 saying We give thee thanks O Lord God Almighty which art and was and art to come because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. Notice why they're giving thanks because you are powerful. Number five Why are we to be thankful? In other words, what is the root of thanksgiving? Well, consider for a moment the root of thanksgiving. The root of thanksgiving is a heart of love toward God. Love toward God. When the heart is filled with love and devotion toward God, it is reflected in thanksgiving. This type of love focuses on God and His redemption through Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Savior. Love toward God is expressed in thanksgiving. There's no other way about it. If you do not sincerely love God, you will never be able to sincerely give Him thanks you, because you will not have a thankful heart. And if you do not have a thankful heart, you may not really be a Christian. And for the record, or at least to reiterate, a thankful heart does not show itself in giving thanks once in a while over the dinner table or in private devotion or when things go well, but rather the thankful heart is filled with thanksgiving at all times. Thanksgiving is the exercise of love and faith for all that God is and all that God does. I think that's where we mess up. We think we are to give God thanksgiving for what he does. We are to give God thanksgiving for his character. That we can trust him. We can trust his promises because he never lies We give thanks to God because of who He is. Not just because He has done great things, but the reason why He does great things is because of who He is. So we have to remember, we're thanking God for who He is. He's not like the God of the heathens. He's the God of Scripture. That's why we give God thanks. The sincere contemplation of the mercy of God results in a brokenness. So there's always this brokenness to the point of obedience and praise as well as thanksgiving. And this is to be expounded further to include a love toward our our brothers and sisters, a love toward our neighbor, which Jesus declares as the second great commandment. And this is how we show God that we are thankful, by obeying Him or by doing what He says and by getting out there and making a difference in the world. The great Puritan Thomas Vincent explains that it is love toward God that excites all other reactions. Just think about that. Everything you do should be fueled by love toward God. And in this case, thanksgiving and love toward our neighbor. He lists eight considerations for the Christian to contemplate, which can be used to encourage and excite the heart and mind to love God and give Him thanks. First, 
Thanksgiving out of a pure heart, a sincere loving heart, is the Christian duty. It's your duty. It's not when you feel like it. I feel like giving God thanks today. It's a nice day out. It's raining. I'm going to complain. No. It's your duty. Thanksgiving is a duty. It is the will of God. And thus it is the commandment of the sovereign king that you humble yourself and you bless him by thanking him. No matter what the situation. Secondly, Thanksgiving Thanksgiving is a privilege. Those who honestly and sincerely thank God do so out of the Spirit's prodding. And it is of the highest privilege to be moved by the Spirit of God. The only way you give thanks sincerely is because the Spirit is working in you. What a privilege that is. To have the Creator of the universe to be working in you, moving you, to thank God. And so whenever we thank God, it's because He has given us something that was not part of our being to begin with. The privilege is that we have been given something from God. Think of it, God has given you something you didn't have before, and moreover, that you never deserved in the first place. You've been given by the Spirit working in you a heart to love Him. You didn't have that before. And you never deserved it. You still don't deserve it. None of us do. We have been given a heart to love Him, and therefore a heart to thank Him and praise Him, and and the wonder of being able to pray to Him. Thirdly, Thanksgiving is a great honor. Just think about just think about the honor. We have the honor of thanking God. We have God as our Father. He's also the universal King of the universe. And He gives only to His own, conferring upon them a great honor, which in turn thanks Him for such a mercy. Number four, there is also wisdom in Thanksgiving. When we render Thanksgiving, that is wise The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord and that fear is an honoring and awe-inspiring aspect of the saint and this impresses upon the mind of the Christian exactly who God is and what is commanded of Him for His own benefit. And so it is in the saint's best interest. In other words, it is in His wisdom to give thanks to the Lord. It is folly not to give thanks to God. The psalmist says this in 105 verse 1, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people. Number five, There is also an excellency in thanking God. Knowing that God is well pleased with thanking Him, that knowledge in and of itself is an excellency of knowledge and understanding. We have been given the excellency of this knowledge that God is blessed. Could you imagine? Puny people. We are dust. And we can please God by simply thanking Him. We can please a creator, the creator of the universe. He is blessed. He is joyful. He is happy. He sings over us when we thank him. What great power he has given to his saints to give him thanks. So there's an excellency in thanking God. Paul tells the Philippians this. Philippians 3 verse 8. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Number six, there's also the necessity of giving thanks. The rendering of thanksgiving is a character dynamic of the regenerate individual. It is a necessary attribute for the Christian without which one remains doubtful of his or her conversion. If you have trouble thanking God, then you need to go back and examine yourself. 
Number seven. And let me put it this way. If you're constantly complaining about your station in life or, or, or what God didn't give you or what this didn't go well or that didn't go well, you need to check yourself. Number seven. There is also a usefulness in the giving of thanks. Because it reminds us that He's generous. And He's generous because He understands that we are so needy. You see, the problem with man is they don't think they need God. They don't think that that they're poor and needy. We must ever be so conscientious of our need for His charity. And when He gives that charity, as He does constantly, we give Him thanks. By accepting the poverty of our body, by accepting the poverty, the impoverishment of our soul and spirit, in light of the grace that has been given to us, we, out of sincere necessity, are to give thanks. And finally, thanksgiving should be a delight. It should be a delightful practice to to thank God for all of His benefits. The Christian should naturally take delight in thanking God, knowing that God delights in us when and only when we are sincerely grateful. As the Apostle declares, and as all of us should likewise declare, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. And so on Thursday... As you sit around the dinner table this Thanksgiving, reflect not upon the meal and not so much about what God has given you or even done for you, but reflect upon the holiness of the day, the holiness of the commemoration and the holiness of God who has given so many blessings, bestowed upon us our life, the lives of our children, our family, our friends, the Church of Jesus Christ, And then we thank God for His mercy. Even as we experience adversity, we are to know that God is with us. And because we know God is with us, as David even declared himself, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thy rod and thy staff, it comforts me. And I can therefore be thankful. So even in adversity, fear, chaos, confusion, sickness, we can be thankful. And so as we experience adversity, we thank God for the lessons that we might glean from that adversity. May the Christian community take a renewed consideration as to the importance of giving thanks for this is the will of God concerning you. This we shall do, God helping us unto the praise of the glory of His grace. Amen.